Welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values with Daniel Bobinski of True Idaho News and Uncover DC. Brought to you by conservativesof.com. And now, here's Daniel. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values. My name is Daniel Bobinski. I'll be your host for the next half an hour as we talk about things from a Judeo-Christian perspective. And as you know, I'm a big fan of John Adams, who said that uh, this this, uh, constitution that we have was for a moral and religious people wholly unsuitable uh, for the government of any other. And I think that's very important that we uh, also have in that concept a free press of people who are you know, accountable to a living God, and they, they know that what they write is going to be held against them if it's not true, which is one of the reasons that I started True Idaho News this past year. Uh, as as I met people who've listened in the past here, uh, you know that I was an executive coach for 30 years, and a couple of years ago, God really put me on a, a different trajectory and put me in a path to writing for UncoverDC.com. And uh, I saw a lot of people here in the state saying, Daniel, you need to start writing about Idaho stuff too. Well, long story short, that led to TrueIdahoNews.com. And uh, and I'm very much enjoying doing that writing. But today in studio, um, I kind of have the uh, pleasure of sitting at the feet of someone who I really respect. I'll, I'll, I don't want to pop up his ego too much, but it's like one of the masters. This guy's been in journalism for a long time. Uh, Mr. Bill Jasper, senior editor of The New American Magazine. Bill, thanks for joining me on The Voice of Conservative Values. Well, thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure. Um, so you are telling me that you have been in journal- journalism for a long time, and I've looked at your bio, uh, and I'm thinking might be better if you tell us a little bit about how you got started in journalism. Well, yes. I mean, it goes back a ways, 45 years. I graduated from the University of Idaho, and uh, I wanted. I got degree. I started out in pre-veterinary medicine and ended up. Uh, Long story short, changing and getting going into education and psychology. I got my degrees in those two fields, and I was trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do at the time? So this is 1975, and uh, I decided to teach school for a little while, and I could see what was going wrong, a lot of things going wrong in education, which I was already realizing as a Christian in my uh, undergraduate years, and so a number of people wanted me to start a school, be a, a private school, Christian school, because they were getting fed up with the uh, schools at that time. And, uh, and people I, still are getting fed up with the schools. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and so actually, and my, my parents, I come from a large family, large Catholic family, uh, 10 brothers and sisters, and my younger siblings were still in school. My parents were going, God, this is getting terrible. What are we going to do? And I suggested to them, I had been doing a lot of research on it, well, try homeschooling. I said, uh, Christian Liberty Academy in Chicago, they've got 30, 40,000 students nationwide. Try that. So they did uh, with my younger brothers and sisters. And so they started homeschooling back in 1970. That was in 73 or 74. Wow. So that was kind of the pioneering of the mo- modern homeschooling. And I was writing about that at the time, and the persecution that was uh, occurring of homeschooling families Mm. uh, because they were taking the heroic measures to take education back into their own hands and protect their kids against the influences that uh, 
were so obviously detrimental. And uh, so my parents uh, got involved in, in that. And uh, so that was back at a time where most parts of the country, including here in Idaho, uh, that was looked at as a very radical and subversive activity. Mm. You don't have your kids in the government schools. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. And so I, I was already aware that, boy, we're really facing some super tough issues here in this country. I had always been a writer, and so I started writing about that. And I went down to uh, uh, Southern California, and I was planning on going to Washington, D.C. to work for Steve Sims at that time, who was senator. He had a position open, and I was going to join the staff there. But I was down in Southern California, and I stopped by the Western States uh, office of the John Birch Society. And I started talking with the uh, guy in charge there. And he offered me a job there. And I said, well, um, I was had been reading all of their literature for about a, a, a couple of years. I had come from being a leftist uh, to started reading the, the literature of liberty and reading the founding fathers mm-hmm. and reading Henry Hazlitt and uh, uh, Ludwig von Mises and and the Austrian free market economists, and it starts making sense. And I go, oh well, this is this this makes sense, and I can see how the concentration and centralization of power in the United States at the federal level, particularly, but even at the state level, how detrimental that is to individual liberty, to parental rights, to property rights, to all those things. And I said, we're on a trajectory to totally concentrate power in this country, economic, uh, uh, military, uh, political, police, etc. cetera. Uh, that's not a good thing. And I don't, I, I'm hoping to have children of my own someday, and I don't want them to grow up in that. So I uh, uh, took a job there. The uh, John Birch Society used to publish a weekly news magazine. So called, you started writing for them? Right. Well, first I started uh, as a researcher, and at, at that time— in Southern California, it was very, for, for a kid from Idaho coming down to Los Angeles, yeah. it was, this was like a different planet and uh, a lot of it good. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed uh, all the diversity of cultures and everything, particularly all the cuisine and everything. But, uh, you know, we're, I truly believe as a Christian that all of us are part of the human family, mm-hmm. and God created us all, mm-hmm. and we're all different, but we're all alike in the essential ways. And so, to me, it's a very rich tapestry of, of uh, creation. And so, uh, I was enjoying that, uh, and however, I noticed in Southern California particularly, there were super militant communist organizations there, Maoist, Trotskyite, Stalinist, etc. The, the Communist Party USA, which was the official Moscow-aligned party, was very active there. The Revolutionary Communist Party, which was the Beijing Maoist branch, was very active there. The Socialist Workers Party, which was the trot, main Trotskyite uh, party, was there. The Workers' World Party, which was another Maoist Trotskyite party, was there. And they were very active in agitating all of the, the social turmoil that was going on there that turned into riots and what I was actually, so I 
uh, actually infiltrated uh, these groups and was reporting on what they were doing. And I worked in addition to uh, with... Uh, I'm, I'm going to pause you right yes. there because I think that's very important for our listeners to understand. So often, I think people watch the news, they see things happen, and they think that this is just an organic emergence, that this, this just happened or some some chemicals kind of fell in the right place and so we have an uprising. And what you're saying is that you were in these organizations, you infiltrated them. And as a journalist, you're able to document these, they were planning these things. They had a, an agenda to these. And most folks don't realize that's what the case yeah, is. I, I mean, it's scientifically created. And I realized this because I was old enough to have been in on the, the tail end of the earlier generation of riots on the college campuses that the SDS, Students for Democratic Society, had uh, had uh, promulgated during the late 1960s and early 70s. And many of them, uh, SDS and you know a whole super militant uh, branch of them, broke off and formed the Weathermen and the Weather Underground, which actually started engaging in bombings all across the country. And so you had Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn and Michael Klonsky and all of, all of those people. Which, unfortunately, unfortunately, the major media out there, with all that big money from, from Big Pharma, uh, they're the ones that are saying, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. That's just right. a theory. That's, there's no proof to this. But you were there. Yeah. And so I was actually, I, I would go to, to all these meetings. I would pick up all of their literature, uh, when people would sign up for uh, the various uh, programs that they're doing there. Sometimes I mistakenly uh, set down my my backpack on top of them and I picked it up. I happened to pick up their <laughs> their list and I'd go and copy it. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had, you know, some of the things that they were, all of the things they were planning they were doing were subversive and many of them were actually statutorily illegal and so and some of them were not just illegal and subversive but they were actually planning dangerous things so when i would come across information like that i would pass it on to authorities besides writing about it or uh, making putting files on all these different people um, i would pass it on to uh, authorities, whether it would be the police intelligence or whatnot. I did not work for any of them, uh, even though a number of different agencies wanted to offer me money or even to pay for my expenses. I said, nope, I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm an independent and, journalist. And I'm not going to get caught up in that. Uh, but uh, so I also worked with, as I mentioned to you earlier, Congressman Larry McDonald. And Congressman McDonald was a Democrat from Georgia, and he was a one of the most important people in Congress in the 1970s and early 80s. He was a surgeon, a doctor who uh, was young, handsome, articulate, uh, super uh, memory, photographic memory. So. And, and super well organized. He he was he had an agenda. He could see uh, what was happening in the country, and he started putting together an organization. Besides, uh, he became uh, 
chairman of the John Birch Society, but he was chairman of a number of other organizations too. He was on the Conservative Caucus, American Conservative Union, uh, on the boards of many different organizations. He was on the House Armed Services Committee, and he was on the House Intelligence Committee. And he recognized that, boy, we have to uh, collect information on on these organizations because uh, during the 1960s and 70s, the Communist Party, working together with the American Civil Liberties Union and and National Lawyers Guild and the media, demonized the House Committee on American Activities, House Internal Security Committee, and convinced us that we needed to get rid of those. And so they abolished Congress abolished those, mm-hmm. and that left us blind. And that's mm-hmm. why we were we were uh, ending up that way. So his idea was, okay, we need to get that information again, which is where I came in. I was up. Uh, organized a number of other young people to go into these organizations and get the information so that we'd have that kind of uh, information to protect our country. And so as a result of that, I was a a main researcher for uh, Congressman McDonald, put together a video, G. Edward Griffin, the author, uh, film producer, uh, directed it. Uh, called No Place to Hide the Strategy and Tactics of Terrorism. And it played on CNN. Um, this was in 1979-80. So it played on there a number of times. And so we were anticipating by years what was going to be happening if we didn't do this. And we went over and we interviewed uh, Pierre de Villemarest, uh, one of the top intelligence and uh, terrorism specialists in France, and Hilaire Duberrier, and many other, uh, Roland Gaucher, a number of the other uh, people who had been researching uh, this for, for many years. And so um, that was one of my early experiences was the national security terrorism issue. And at... Uh, this is, to me, this is so key that, you know, like I said earlier, people think that this is, oh, you're just a conspiracy nut. Uh, you're, just, you're just hypothesizing. But you were there. You lived it. You were rubbing elbows with them as they were talking about these things. And, the, and, and yes, uh, they did take down the uh, House on Un-American Activities, the House Committee on Un-American Activities, which I think you're absolutely right. They, they left us exposed, and, and uh, we could be easily damaged because of all the subversion that now they have free reign to run. Um, you know, as a part, one of the benefits, I guess, that I have, um, and I'm a nascent journalist here of a couple of years, um, is that I, I come from this from an executive coach perspective. So I know, I mean, I'm a certified behavioral analyst, I'm a certified motivational analyst, and I've been working with executives for decades. And these guys get up every morning, you know, they may make a million dollars a year, and they these guys don't just get up and say, gee, what's the news today? What's, how should I react? No, they have an agenda that they want to accomplish. Every guy you know, at that level is getting up, and he's got something that he's trying to get done. And I don't think people realize that that's what's going on in not just this country, but in the world. Absolutely. Uh, The folks that are out there trying to destroy our country, they have executives who are directing them, who are highly motivated to take down our country, to take our our liberties. And some of the people that I was working with, Congressman McDonald, uh, got uh, Admiral Thomas Moore, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, General Lewis Walt, Commandant of the Marine Corps, uh, 
a number of other uh, General George Patton III. Uh, so I was able to work with those folks who, besides working at the ground level with the revolutionary subversives that were trying to take down the country, I was able to work with a lot of the top people that were trying to defend the country and that had access to a lot of information that mm-hmm. I didn't have. And so so that was, uh, to me, a, a big eye-opener uh, in, in the start of my journalism uh, career. And at, right about that time, I also went to started going to New York City from L.A. to New York City as our accredited correspondent at the United Nations. And uh, we have been very critical of the United Nations for many years, and I believe for very good reason. Mm -hmm. I've written two books uh, on it, uh, on the United Nations, uh, The United Nations Exposed and Global Tyranny Step by Step, The United Nations and the Emerging New World Order. I wrote that longer titled one in 1992, and so for over 30 years, I was our accredited um, correspondent there at the United Nations and at UN summits around the world. And uh, most, the vast majority of Americans have not the slightest idea of how really bad, how actually evil the United, the United Nations is. Most of them think, oh, yeah, they're a bunch of blowhards there, and they, you know, they don't like the United States. No, it's really far, far worse than that. Just as one example, which I've told many times, at the United Nations itself and at the UN summit in Rio de Janeiro, the first Earth summit, you want to get a gauge of how bad the United Nations is. One of the worst dictators in the world, Fidel Castro, communist dictatorship, uh, you know, has murdered all kinds of people. Uh, it's a, a slave state, a jail state, a prison state. He comes into the UN uh, General Assembly at the UN summit, and it just erupts into pandemonium. Viva Fidel! Viva Fidel! And he comes down and he's treated like, not a rock star, like a god. And it goes on for a long time. And then I look around and here I am in the press gallery. And here's all my fellow journalists. They're doing the same thing. You know? wow. And many of them are Americans, you know, and Europeans. They're all, they adore and adulate uh, him. And I saw the same thing in New York when he came there. And then after he was at, at the... Um, uh, UN uh, in New York, the UN headquarters. Then he went to the Riverside Church, which is one of the communist churches in, in New York, where uh, all of the uh, members of Congress and uh, uh, whatnot were there, and thousands of activists, members of the Communist Party and whatnot were all there cheering him on, and all of the media, again, uh, giving him a send-off. That is, that's the reality of the United Nations. And uh, so... There's, a, there's a, a glorification that occurs, like you, like you described, and it is an emotional imprint. This, mm-hmm. is, this is, you know, again, one of the benefits of having those certifications that I have. People, that, that emotional imprint really causes people to lean one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether, you know, you could, in the simplest terms, you know, money motivation. Some people are very money-driven. Other folks are very selfless with their money. And those are emotional decisions. They don't realize it, but they are. Mm-hmm. And so you get this imprint of here's, you know, Viva Fidel. And, and I remember, uh, you know, like my neighbor down the street, uh, she wears this Che Guevara shirt. I'm yeah. thinking, do, do you even realize what a murderer this guy was? Yeah. 
the people have this 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 uh, across the country. This then the media feeds this. And it was with the you mentioned the Che Guevara shirt. It, to me, you know, about ten years ago when that started coming back, it took me back to my college days because that was uh, in 1968, 69, 70. That's what was, Che Guevara was the the big hero there. And then he kind of um, people forgot about him for a while. But they resurrected him, brought him back. Same with Mao. Mao, you got uh, Mao all resurrected now. Mm-hmm. Well, you were telling me before we went on the air about that you've been doing some work writing about the border situation. Right. The border situation, I, mean, I think we were, we're, American people are kind of on information overload. With We've been full court pressed for the past 18 months or so. Um, what's really going on at the border? What's happening down there? Well, uh, I, I told you about my, I was in Southern California for 10 years uh, during the 70s and to mid 80s. And that's when a lot of our current situation really uh, started. What we are seeing now, people go, oh, my gosh, what the, look at this. Ten, tens of thousands of people. Last month, uh, they apprehended over 200,000. And, uh, well, yeah, that's how many they apprehended, how many got in. Uh, I know from back when I was down there on the border, I'm one of the few journalists who've traveled the whole way. You're from Imperial Beach, so yeah. When I was in the Navy, I lived in Imperial Beach. For right? people that don't know, that's on the on the uh, California coast, right there, right at the border of Mexico and California. And I uh, traveled it all the way down to um, uh, down to Brownsville and and to the Gulf. And I, in over a period of several years, took went myself with camera and a number of other times with camera crews all along the southern border interviewing coyotes and illegal aliens as they were. So, bring- so, so for our listeners, what's a coyote? A coyote is somebody who <laughs> is not the animal, the four-legged ones. These are worse. These are the two-legged ones who are the uh, smugglers who, who bring people to the border and sometimes even uh, take them across. They get paid for bringing people into the country. And so... Uh, I, you know, I was there many times uh, by myself or with my camera crew where there was not a border patrolman in sight anywhere and documented, videotaped thousands coming across the border. And you you can see them. Uh, The the video is still out there, out of control, the immigration invasion, uh, which we uh, produced over 25 years ago. And uh, I also went down on the border and interviewed some of the so-called sanctuary groups that were down there at the time. And they have their own network already built in Mexico and down into Central America and down South into South America, where they were putting out booklets telling people how they could illegally come into the United States and who to call once they got in here to the United States, how to get legal help, how to get uh, uh, onto welfare, all of these different things that they were encouraging people to come at that time. And that's when they started building all of these networks throughout uh, Latin America. And not only there, in in this video, you'll see, I interview, for instance, Sheriff Gary Painter of, um, of Midland, Texas. And his deputies had caught terrorists, Syrian terrorists coming back, coming into the country. This was uh, back in the early 80s. And uh, they actually had training camps down in Mexico at that time. And uh, so this was— uh, So these are terrorists. 
right. that have established a terrorist training camp in, in, Mexico, in Mexico. And then once they have uh, waved their hand over them in a certain way that they get to be authorized, they can then come into the country and do their thing. Correct. And so what we're facing now is a crisis brought about by decades of neglect and of subversion uh, and of unwillingness of people to face up, particularly our elected officials, to be truthful to the American people, tell them what is really happening, and at the same time to allow the media to play us for suckers. We all believe in uh, helping Others and we're we are a nation of immigrants. Yes, yes, we've heard that. Enough. However, uh, we have to do it in a sensible manner, and that's what immigration is. Migration means you just have open borders, and everyone who wants to comes in. You no, know. so we have to get a hold on this. And uh, we, I, I like the way Dennis, the comedian Dennis Miller, put it. He said, "I don't mind you coming to the country. Would you mind coming in through the door and signing the guest book?" Absolutely. No. Uh, that's it. That's it. We, we take in more than anybody else in the world, but we, no, no country can sustain this kind of thing. It was good to hear even President Ob former President Obama this a couple of days ago referring to the border. And he says, well, you have to have, you have to have borders. You, it's, it's not sustainable. Yeah. Know, well, I think that's just kind of words perhaps. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we are running down on time. Um, as I said, um, I've been a journalist in the political realm for just a couple of years. I mean, I was a writer for decades. I used to write for a Christian newspaper. I've written on business issues. I used to write for the Idaho Business Journal, uh, the, the Business Review, and uh, a couple other places. And it's just been recently that God turned me into writing about political issues and, and social issues of the day. And I wanted just to encourage um, our listeners. I mean, you heard Bill's story. We have guy who's homeschooled, right? And just has the, or has that homeschooling family and has this urge to, to get out there and just start telling the truth. That's what it takes. It takes somebody who is desiring for the truth to be told. And it's actually kind of why I, I started True Idaho News, because I got tired of picking up the local rag. And, and uh, I, I jokingly tell people I, I, I would get it, but I already buy bottom stuff for the bottom of the birdcage. Because when I see what's happening in that newspaper, in the newspapers, plural, um, it is not what I would call true. I can attend an event and then I can read about it in the paper the next day and it has nothing to do with what I saw there. So Bill, um, I, you're an encouragement to me and I want to say thank you. And I want to encourage everybody else out there that if you have a story, you know, write about it, tell people about it, and you can send it to me at True Idaho News. And if you just put it in rough draft form and maybe we'll, we'll put it out there for you. But the idea is have a passion for the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. The truth is going to set us free. And you know what? Um, we can do that. God, people are, people's, are, people are drawn to the truth. That's the key. Now, we just need to speak the truth. Bill, thanks for being here. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank you, Dan. I uh, want to say to everybody, be blessed. We'll catch you next week on The Voice of Conservative Values. Thank you for tuning in to The Voice of Conservative Values. If you'd like to support this broadcast and Conservatives Of in the Treasure Valley, you can do so at conservativesof.com. Freedom can only be maintained by a prayerful, informed, vigilant, and engaged citizenry.